like to talk and read all things books and mystery. Funny stories. The characters of youth always tend to be a sleuth. The Hardy Boys will do. Don't forget Nancy Drew. It's a clue. Hello, savvy sleuths. I'm Karen. And I'm Kelly. Welcome to It's a Clue, a faux crime comedy podcast for cult enthusiasts. This week, we're discussing what might actually be the best Nancy Drew book of all time, at least in the, what is the six that we've now read, Karen? So far, yep. <laughs> yeah, so far, it's definitely up there. Um, this is Nancy Drew and the Secret of Redgate Farm. So here are some thoughts to ponder, Karen, throughout okay. our discussion today. All right? Yep. Number one. Are perfume scents really identifiable enough to be used as an underworld identity confirmation? I would not have thought so. <laughs> Samesies. Uh, was wannabe Secret Service agent Carl Jr. the inspiration for fast food chain Carl's Jr.? I'm really glad you asked because I every Did it time bug you the whole time too. Every time they said Carl Jr., I was just like cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starving. <laughs> Um, and lastly, is Hannah Gruen scared to be home alone because she probably should be? I think about this all the time. Carson and Nancy are out of town constantly now. She's just holding down the fort. The house is getting broken into. But yeah, mm -hmm. Hannah has a rough job. <laughs> she's got a rough job. I mean, she's like, you know, running interference on all these crazy phone calls and mysterious threats she's getting and having to figure out if... You know, people's excuses that they're calling home are valid or if they're being held hostage and all kinds of nut stuff. And then she just, you know, is supposed to like whip up sandwiches for guests anytime they show up. So I, I feel I'm feeling for Hannah. I full same. Yep. <laughs> if you showed up to my house today with no one in tow, just yourself. Yeah. And said, feed I'm, me. I'm hungry. <laughs> I would say you have come to the wrong place. I don't believe that to be true, but you could take me to Carl's Jr. I have never been to a Carl's Jr. I think I have maybe once. There was one by my house in Sunnyvale, and it, I, it was not a memorable enough experience that I have anything to tell you about it. So ne I needed a, re needed a repeat. <laughs> yeah. I, there, there's, I, I don't know if it's why I never went, but I have a very deep, like, psychological distrust of establishments that misuse grammar and the fact that that apostrophe is it makes no sense to have it there like the carls do not own junior but well it's or it's like an incomplete phrase because i'm like carl's junior what <laughs> thank you carl's junior that's a good point but either way it's, I, yeah. it's wrong yes and upsetting <laughs> and i'm gonna go to some place like hardy's that has their little apostrophe in the correct place i can trust that burger I think we Wendy's. Just, I think we seems just lost. like a stand-up place. <laughs> we just lost the Carl's Jr. sponsorship, so those hopes we did, have been but, dashed. But, when, <laughs> but Wendy's is going to come in strong. I feel it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and listen, if 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 I found out that I could live on Wendy's for the rest of my life, that was the sponsorship deal. I mean, I'm down. I wouldn't say no. No, I could. I could do a frosty and fries. Any day of the week. <laughs> I'm Any with day you. Of the week. Are you a dunker? I, I am a dunker. Um, have you always been a dunker? I feel like I have been. Mm -hmm. 
It is very in vogue now to be a dunker, so I I don't know if I was just suggestible to influence, but I I want to believe in my heart that I've always. Uh, what What about you? No, I. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm not judging. I totally get it. Okay. And I too enjoy like the salty sweet situation. However, it like sogs your fry out. You gotta, you gotta do it quick. <laughs> it just, it's still, it sogs your fry out. Quick I'd it. rather just like salt my frosty. <laughs> <laughs> you do you, boo boo. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I do. I'm saying in the, in the land of options. I don't want to, no, I don't want to soggy fry That's covered fair. in frosty. That is fair. But I don't judge those who do. Thank you for embracing me for who I am. I think I've just lost friends over that, though. We'll, we'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out. Our, our followers on Instagram go down by 75% next week. We know what it's about. <laughs> A downward spike. <laughs> totally. So, uh, anyway, what's going on with you this week? Anything wonderful and exciting in the land of Karoon? Well, uh, I I do have a hard truth to share about myself. I have landed myself in library jail yet again. What is what's what does that mean? So, if one does not return one's library books, one ends <laughs> up in library jail, as I have dubbed it. And uh, in the age of COVID. So the the branch library by my house, which is wonderful, um, they've been doing curb service, like sidewalk pickup, which is great. Right. And so I'm a heavy user of the library hold system. Um, and basically the way that this works for all of you who have not yet learned how to game the library system is that you can actually put books on hold before the library even owns them. So like at the beginning of the year, the library will pre-order books that – they know will be coming out, even if the book does not exist yet. Ooh. So I, at the beginning of the year, make my list of all of the hot releases that I want my hands on first, and I put them all on hold Man. in advance. And so when those books get to the library, they don't even go on the shelf. They're just like, oh, someone has it on hold. Put Karen. it. Karen. Yeah. So here is the problem for me is that I put a lot of things on hold, and then occasionally – you you go to pick them up and they're like, oh, 47 of your holds came in this week. And you're like, oh, oh I'm sorry. And so if you're me, you're like, no problem. And then you bring them all home with you and you're like, I'm going to read them anyway. But uh, one cannot read 47 books in, you know, yes. the allotted window. So I may... Which inevitably leads to one accruing some late dues. Indeed. And... The Seattle Public Library actually about a year ago did away with late fees. And here's where library jail comes in. So uh, if you do not return your books on time, you do receive several warnings via email, which I did have received for several books. And then I can't remember exactly what the window is, but it's like after X amount of warnings, uh, you receive your ticket into library jail, which is your account has been shut down and you may not do anything until you return these books, uh, which means you can't, like, put anything else on hold, etc. Uh, so that is problematic for me. And then beyond library jail, there's, like, the real wrist slap, which is after you receive the final, final library jail warning, they're like, we will charge this book to your account if you do not bring it back within, like, 10 days or something. So so it's yours forever. I ha Yeah, you've, you've now purchased this book. <laughs> so I have not gotten to that 
point yet. I, I have nearly gotten to that point before and I made it in the nick of time, but I'm, I'm in library jail. So I will have to go do something about that tomorrow. <laughs> so I need to know, like, how much money do you owe the library? Well, zero, zero dollars because there are no late fees. Oh, oh, you said that. All yeah, right. but the Got the it. ultimate punishment, which is actually no more books, a better punishment for me is no. Before I was like, this is just my annual donation to the library. It's fine. <laughs> I'm helping. I wanted these books anyway. <laughs> I'm a I'm a benefactor of the library with my late right. fines. But now it's worse because they're like, no, exactly, no more books, which is no more books, a huge problem. <laughs> so and like, there's shame and stigma involved with it too. I mean, you'll be an outcast. There is and amongst be- your people. I've been in library jail once before, and I, because of the sidewalk pickup, you know, like, this is a face-to-face conversation, because I I went, I was in library jail, I went to the curbside pickup, I had the stack of books in my hand that I was returning, and I was like, hello, I'm here to pick up my holds, and I just want you to know... Before you scan my card and and pick up those books, I know what I've done. Here are the books. I'm returning them. And like the librarians were dying laughing. I think I opened (laughs) with like, I said out loud to them, I opened with, I just want you to know that I know that I'm in library jail and I'm very sorry. (laughs) The librarians loved that. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Um, Very good. Well, Karen, I'm... Wish me luck. I can't can't say I'm proud. (laughs) (laughs) Or surprised. (laughs) Or surprised. No, I mean, no, I actually kind of am. That sounds like, I mean, that sounds like a total Kelly move for sure. I mean, I have fines in libraries I haven't even gone to. All over the world. (laughs) All over the world. I actually got a notice in the mail years ago um, from, I think it was the Charleston Public Library that they had sent me to collections. (gasps) Kelly! I didn't know. Like, I had this book that was, I guess I had returned it, but I'd never paid. It was for like $5, you know? I just, I didn't know. I hadn't been back to the library. So, I mean, it was like, whatever, you know? I had no idea I had a fine. You're like, I've until I got six like six times. I- <laughs> right. Until I got like a forwarded notification that like a collections agency was hunting me down for my $5.25 accrued library fines from 10 years earlier. And I was like, Really? This That's- doesn't seem like a good use of a collections agency, but okay. Who do I call with my credit card? There, the San Francisco library used to have something that they called the Day of Amnesty. <laughs> they would do it once a year. And it was like this one 24-hour window. And they would notify everyone. They're like, to all of you who have overdue books that you have not returned because of the insane fine you have accrued. <laughs> Just return them and no questions asked. Yes. There was what they're like, if you return it on this day, we want our books back. If you return it on this day, we will erase your entire fine. And so that actually encouraged very bad behavior for me because sure, I would you just be- wait. I'd be so far in the doghouse with like a handful of books that I was like, well, if I wait six months, I'll turn them in on Amnesty Day. and It'll go away. That does encourage bad behavior. That is like the loophole of all loopholes. But yes. I do like it. I mean, it's straight out of the kidnapper's textbook, right? Like, you know, just just bring her back. <laughs> no, there will be no police, no questions asked, you know. Oh, man. Well, does this explain my, my Instagram name now? Library power user? Like I have... I have learned to I, navigate I the system. <laughs> I get it now. You have learned the the ways to make this work to your benefit, which I appreciate. Thank you. 
Uh, thank you for still loving me despite my library and criminal tendencies. Um, of course, it probably makes me love you more. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sweet. Just like a little bit delinquent on the inside, like in in the in the most like proper kind of way. <laughs> what have you been up to this week? I went on a little trip up to Amish country. Oh, hey, with a woman you may know. Who? We, we both call her mother. Oh, our mother. Yes, I do mm-hmm. know her. I know her quite well. <laughs> uh-huh. So we we uh we broke free uh from our little quarantine prisons now that we're all vaxxed up and uh went up to Amish country for a few days. And it's it's like gorgeous up there. I mean, I'm sure. it is so green and I mean like literal rolling hills with I mean, Taryn, I saw like I, what do you call it? sheep? A group of sheep? A flock of sheep? I believe that would sheep? be a, a flock. <laughs> a cluster of sheep? <laughs> a sheet of sheep? <laughs> a sheet of sheep? Uh, I, saw, I saw sheep. I saw goats. I saw cows and horses. Um, I saw quilters. There were a bunch of those. Well, like up there in their natural yourself. habitat. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I was amongst them. Um, but one thing that, that our mother and i noticed she she became very obsessed with this and even commented like this is going to go on the podcast isn't it and i was like yes i'm taking a note right now so oh, i'm so excited i can't even wait for whatever you're about to say <laughs> so our our hotel room had this like little balcony on it that looked out i mean it's like literally behind it there's nothing but like acres and acres and acres as far as the eye can see of green pasture okay. and farms and so we're sitting out on our balcony before sunset one night. There may have been wine involved. I'll neither confirm nor deny that because okay. I think it's a dry. I think it's a dry county. But oh, regardless, um, hmm. <laughs> so 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 she points out amongst the rolling hills and goes, "What's that white square?" And I was like, "I don't, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Do we need to call an ambulance? Like, what do you mean? What's a white square?" And she says, <laughs> she was goes, it a out cloud? there, th- that white square. No, like, in, and I then asked her, oh, you mean the thing by the tree? And please understand, we're looking at it about 750 trees as far as the eye can see. But I was like, oh, the thing by the tree. And so to come to find out, she's pointing to a a small area, like a, a white picket fenced in area that is got a big tree inside the enclosure at one end, but it's like way up on the top of this hill, way out in the distance. And in her defense, it did look like a white square, but it was like a white fenced in little area. Okay. And I was like, don't you think that's where they keep like the pony or something? You know, and she said, no, it's too far away from anything. And I was like, okay, cow then, you know? No, same answer. So mom speculates that the white square was out there to enclose a family cemetery. Oh. Which you could, it was too far away to see. So I'm taking binoculars the next time we go because I'm very invested now. But <laughs> uh, we were having this conversation about a cemetery and I, I was like, why would you fence in a cemetery? <laughs> Like, real talk. I don't understand. Like, wh- what are you trying to keep in? You know? Correct. The ghosts. <laughs> keep it. Keep in, I mean, it was a very low fence, Karen. I think the ghosts could have, like, hurdled it pretty easily. <laughs> so, anyway, if anybody out there knows what a random white square on a random hillside might be, it, maybe it's a cemetery. She's probably right. But that I- that is my, like, personal mystery that I need to solve in my life is what's, what's the sitch? Well... 
Kelly, next time you go up there, I mean, you gotta, you gotta be like Nancy. You just just clambered out there and hmm. started slinking around in the night. I tried. I was like, come on, get in the car. Let's just drive out there. <laughs> she rightfully pointed out to me though that there were actually no roads out there, so a, a we were gonna point. have to like park the SUV on a dirt road and then hike. I don't know. Find a horse. I'm not hiking out there. A, a, a street horse or a river horse? <laughs> this would have been a street horse. Okay, okay. <laughs> that would have been all we needed was a sturdy old street horse. No rivers huh. in sight. This is fascinating. And mm-hmm. I think I this does clock. I feel like it is a memorial of some sort. And maybe they were like, maybe it's to keep the, the cow or the pony well, from clambering through it. <laughs> That's what she said. She was like, it's not to keep things in. It's to keep (laughs) animals out. Which I acknowledge makes more sense. But interesting side note for you. So you brought this up in our last episode, which was um, Nancy Drew and the continuity error about Shadow Ranch. Yes. So you kind of told that story about um, how in the 1930-31 edition or whatever – Ned was fully in the book, like all the way through. But then in the 64, 65 version, they tried to take him out, but did a shoddy job. (laughs) They didn't do a great job and they forgot a part, which is why just randomly in the middle of the book, Ned is mentioned for the first time, like we've known him forever. Correct. So, so all of that to say, one of are like new friends on Instagram who goes by Nancy Drew Collector, who from what I can tell, I mean, she she knows her Nancy Drew and like the history of the books and the publications and everything, which I oh find incredibly fascinating, but I know love nothing it. about. Anyway, she she commented on our post and I just thought it was really interesting that in later printings of Shadow Ranch, like after the one reread, which our our publication was in the 80s, even after that, they kept trying to take him out and fix the problem, and they still missed a reference. Oh, my God. So, that's awesome. <laughs> like, Ned just refused to be edited out. And I, I love I, it. That gives me hope that he might have the staying power to oust John McBride from the boyfriend bracket. Yeah, John McBride is um, yet to be unseated. He is a tough contender. <laughs> Mm-hmm. He is. I don't have a ton of like super juicy fun facts about the history of this book today because Kelly. Yes, but tell us the ones you do. In in my googling, my weekly googling, I was shocked to learn that this book is actually not that revised. So most of the books that we've read so far, the 1931 edition versus what we have read, have been wildly different, and apparently yeah. this one is super similar um it was really just minor name changes of characters which i don't know why you would even bother to do that but they well there there were probably like two dons and another dark and like uh (laughs) an unrelated ned (laughs) they like like oh whoops we had two nancys in this one better fix that (laughs) (laughs) the cow was originally named nancy and they were like let's make it primrose (laughs) exactly that is that is a true fact everyone that start Mm -hmm. spreading that rumor help us with the rumor (laughs) um so not very different for the first time ever um like last week's book this book also needs some copy edits and i will Mm -hmm. say this and only this carolyn keen the words that you are using are 
not how we refer to Asian communities or their culture. So let's not, not even a little bit. Let's make some edits to this book, please and thank you. Um, yes. Final question for you on mm-hmm. the book history note: Have you seen the original cover for this book? I actually have, yes. Because that is the biggest change that has been made. And Mm -hmm. it is bizarre. Would you like to describe it to our listeners? The, 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 The largest piece of the image on the cover is the cult in their white hoods dancing around. Yes. And then a little bit of Nancy on the side. Mm -hmm. So when I first glanced at that book cover, I was like, there's, there's a I pretty clear reason know. why the cover was changed, right? <laughs> I don't know that we should read this book. Uh, right? It, the, the, the first cover was very problematic. So glad they revised it. The new cover, I will say though, is like so boring. It's just like Nancy peering around a tree. And I'm like, could we not have? No, like very minimal effort on the new cover. Yeah, I would like say. there's there's a lot of dead space. I would say on this cover, like yeah. the the main image is um dirt, yeah, with nothing <laughs> happening on it. <laughs> so perfectly described, Kelly, art history major, right here. <laughs> I believe we're just looking at dirt right now. I've uh, got all the words. So that's what I got for you. Nothing, nothing well, too thrilling hey, this week, but that's pretty good. Good good job. Hey, I mean, Karen, you can't make up interesting history if there's no interesting history to be had. I actually think you raise a very good point that perhaps I will start to make up fun facts about these books and <laughs> see if you can sniff out what's true and what's not. <laughs> uh, great. Can you make up two lies real fast? Uh, <laughs> I guess that would unfairly sway things. Ned is a cousin of the Hardy Boys. Wooden shock. I thought you were going to say a cousin of George and Bess. Like, that also would add up. So. And Ned has a twin. <laughs> this was the first book that didn't have a twin in it, from what I could suss out. Correct. The, yeah. this book there was also was no boating accident. Twin-free and boat-free. Well, Karen. Yes, Kelly? I believe the next thing we need to discuss is our one-sentence plot submission winner for the week. Yes! Who have you chosen? And you may know this person, but... Okay. Is it also mom? (laughs) It is not mom, but similar. It's your husband. Oh, hey, Garrett. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. Garrett won just... It was like chef's kiss. Oh, God. So Garrett's one sentence plot submission based on the new cover, to be clear. Okay. Things get creepy when Nancy stumbles onto a ritual sacrifice. This is no ordinary farm, and those gates aren't painted with anything you'd find at (laughs) Sherwin-Williams. Ask how, ask now, ask (laughs) Sherwin-Williams. Well, we're going to have to edit that out, because we're going to get sued. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, free ad space. Uh, That's amazing. Uh, Wow. Yes, I mean, yeah, you you married a good one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I will, when we finish recording, I will go downstairs and let him know that he has... Won the prize. He won. The prize is robust. It is nothing. <laughs> except no. accolades on this podcast. <laughs> Your prize is nothing. <laughs> so without further ado, it is time for our favorite, the super fast plot. Super fast plot overview. I'm ready. <clears throat> yes. Are you ready? Yes. Let me crack my back. 
All right. Crack your back, warm up those cords. Me, 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 me. Okay. While on a super expensive out-of-town shopping trip, Nancy, George, and Bess have a strange interaction at a perfume shop. The salesperson there all but refuses to sell Bess the small vial of blue jade perfume that she wants. After jacking up the price to $20 an ounce, she finally sells a vial to Bess, who then promptly spills it all over herself and Nancy while they're on the train home. Shortly thereafter, a mysterious man approaches Nancy, sniffs her, and cryptically asks her about the chief. Only after seeing her puzzled expression does he realize he has mistaken her for someone else. During the train ride home, Nancy also helps revive a girl who faints. Her name is Joanne, and she's on her way to River Heights to apply for a job. She needs to raise money to save her grandmother's farm with a red gate. Nancy, being Nancy, insists that Joanne come over for sandwiches and soup provided by Hannah Gruen. She then drives to her to her interview in a neighboring town of Riverside Heights because Joanne was very rightfully confused about her destination. She goes up to the meeting with Joanne, who meets a super shady dude who is rude and clearly not too interested in employing her. At one point, the shady guy takes a phone call and writes down a bunch of numbers with lines and squiggles above and below some of the numbers. Nancy, when given an opportunity, copies down half of the coded message. It's a clue! After some minimal effort and with the help of a code-breaking book, Nancy figures out that the message is about a meeting. After some more sleuthing, she learns that the perfume salesperson, Yvonne Wong, is connected with the shady interview guy. Later, she connects Yvonne to the Hale Syndicate, a group of international bad guys. Joanne's having no luck finding a job, so Nancy, George, and Bess decide to go to Redgate Farm with her as paying boarders to help with the money situation. On their way, they stop to get gas and Sundays. Nancy overhears a strange conversation by some crooked-looking characters, one of whom is wearing blue jade perfume, and another who flashes wads of cash at the attendant. Once at the farm, Nancy and co. meet Joanne's grandmother, Mrs. Bird, and hear all about the Black Snake Cult, a nature cult that rents land, including a big old cave, from Mrs. Bird. A few times a month, the members dress up in robes and dance in the moonlight before disappearing into the cave. They also find out that Mrs. Bird has two boarders coming in the next two days, which will help with money. Huzzah! One is Mr. Abbott, who has a hot son named Carl Jr., and the other is Mrs. Salisbury, as in Salisbury Steak. The next day, Nancy's out spying on the cult, and she comes upon a woman who has twisted her ankle. Turns out, she's one of the cult members, and she warns Nancy from ever coming onto the cult land. This obviously just makes Nancy want to go even more. Late that night, a mysterious letter arrives for Nancy from Carson, telling her to come home at once, but not to contact him. Red Flag City. When she goes to call him, the phone line has been cut. More red flags. So the next day, Nancy and co. drive to call him from the gas station from before, and are immediately surrounded by secret service members who accuse Nancy of passing a counterfeit $20 bill when they were there the day before. Luckily, Carl Jr. shows up to vouch for Nancy's honest character, so the Secret Service lets her go. Through all of this, Nancy has been in touch with Chief McGinnis back in River Heights, who has done some research for her. He tells her the cult may be a phony because he can't find a record of it. She shares her hunch that the coded message is about a secret meeting of the Hale Syndicate that will include an appearance from Maurice Hale himself. She's pretty sure that the cult is a front for the Syndicate, and that they're meeting soon at the cave near the farm. Nancy comes up with a plan for herself, George, Bess, and Joanne to make hand-sewn costumes that will allow them to blend in with occult members. 
The next time they see a cult meeting, they will throw on their robes and sneak in to see what's happening in the cave. And that's exactly what they do. Unfortunately, after sneaking into the cave, they find themselves in the middle of the Hale Syndicate's counterfeiting operation. Maurice Hale is there with a bunch of his co-conspirators and his wife, who is the lady who had twisted her ankle. The lady members of the syndicate, including Yvonne Wong, all wear blue jade perfume for some reason. One by one, the other members take off their masks, and eventually Nancy, George, and Bess have to reveal themselves. Nancy almost gets away, but she's caught again! Our heroines are then tied up, and the villains plan to lock them in a shack with no food, knowing that no one will find them until they're dead from starvation. Mrs. Hale pleads on their half, but Maurice won't be halfing it. As the gals are dragged from the cave, all of a sudden, Carl Jr. is there. Nancy tells him to run for his life, but then a bunch of Secret Service dudes who are hiding in the bushes jump out and save the day. They arrest the baddies, including Mrs. Hale, although Nancy does advocate for her. The head Secret Service guy tells Nancy she has solved the most baffling counterfeiting case the U.S. has ever had, and asks her for tips and tricks for next time. <laughs> Nancy tells them she'll send them her invoice. Just kidding. Later, Mrs. Bird bemoans the fate of the farm, believing that no one will want to rent rooms there now that they are associated with a counterfeiting ring. Nancy tells her she just needs to harness the story for good, and she knows just how to do it. Within days, Nancy has erected two billboards directing tourists to visit the counterfeiting cave, which is now complete with a money-printing diorama and animatronic bad guys. Admission, 50 cents. The end. Applause, applause, applause. Like, this is such a good story. It is. It's it's got everything. I, it's got it's got a international crime syndicate. It's got a code to crack. Yeah, like I'm so. There for it. Give me give me your thoughts and musings on this because I I have a feeling they're similar to mine and that I loved this book. Mm. <laughs> okay, so I love this book. Uh, yes, totally loved it. I loved it within like three chapters. I was totally in. Um, I mean, I was shocked and amazed and in love to see that there was a cult involved i mean yep. granted it was a fake cult but i was like what awesome um, yeah awesome um you know the code cracking thing i have always loved and it kind of goes back to what we talked about in the westing game where you have that that sense of like you have everything you need like you could solve the code you yeah, know, like uh, we knew as much as Nancy did, we could have probably solved it. But I thought about I just trying, and then that. I gave up. I was like, I could try, and then I was like, oh, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> Let's let the professional teenagers do it. <laughs> I will. I I had two complaints with this book. I I guarantee mm. I know what one of them is. So I'll start with the legitimate one first. Number one. Um, I would really like to see Nancy starting to to develop like an exit strategy from these situations. Oh, like she always yes. has a, she's got a real strong entry plan. <laughs> like there's sewing involved, disguises are made. It involves shopping trips, multiple shopping trips. There's like a full on penetration mission. Yes, fully de fully defined. But like there is no extraction mission. There is no extraction point. She never arranges yeah. for the helicopter to be there. Gaining access has never been her problem. You're totally right. It's like finding yes. the marked exits is her problem. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. So my other big problem, as you probably know, is that <clears throat> in this book, we had a non-implied actual bitey snake. A snake. I knew it. I Yep. <laughs> like, I already wasn't thrilled with the name of the cult. 
oh, black snake cult. Yeah. But I was like, oh, look, another implied snake. And then there was a non-implied snake. Okay, so in your face, gonna bite you on the ankle, little buddy. I'm like, this is my worst nightmare. George is just like... (laughs) traipsing through the meadow and like climbs up on a pile of rocks and then gets bitten by a snake and i'm like this is exactly why i don't go in meadows or near rocks (laughs) or in lakes or on mountains or in any other high snake priority zones totally i yep i as soon as i read that moment i was like i should send kelly a care package she's not okay right now (laughs) it was not okay it's like i'm gonna stop and have like dear diary why am I like this? Why this is- <laughs> but but like simultaneous to that, may- maybe this made it even worse is that, and tell me if I'm wrong, tell, tell me if there was reason, but I'm like, what was the reason for George to get bitten by the snake? Like it didn't change anything. No, it didn't. It was it was like when John McBride got his flipper stuck under the rock. It was like, Thank it you. seemed like a moment that was sheerly there to create a sense of true physical danger but yeah. entirely unrelated to the plot or necessary. Yeah. Like, I would have, I mean, if I'm being honest, if George had died, I would have been totally fine with it because I kind of hate her right now. But also, I mean, I, I was just like, oh, this is going to like keep her away from, she she won't be able to go with them now to infiltrate the cult. And so now she's going to be on the outside and we'll be able to rescue him. Yes. But the thing that was the most bizarre to me about this is what they used to clean her wound is the remaining blue jade perfume. So for a brief moment, I was like, are we going to find out that like this perfume has something strange about it? But no, it just actually somehow worked and she was fine. It was the only liquid they had on them. I mean, I guess I guess perfume is probably mostly alcohol, but I still don't think I would want that like poured on my snake bite. I mean, let's be honest, if I got bitten by a snake... I would immediately perish. You would not even know what was poured on the snake bite. No, you would be- I, I would literally probably have a heart attack. <laughs> and they would be like, that was a non-venomous snake. And I'm like, that has no effect. It doesn't actually matter. <laughs> no. So um, how about you? General thoughts and musings? Uh, I, As we've said, I very much enjoyed this book. I f- pretty, I don't mean to, I don't mean to be a negative Nancy, but- uh this fully intended intended uh, like <laughs> this book truly was the first of the six that we've read where i was like oh this mystery is interesting and is the plot is flowing in a logical way that i can follow <laughs> right. so i was very invested in it i also appreciated that the timelines in this book seemed more realistic I, I, like a Say lot more. of the books it's been it's felt very like this whole thing transpires over 48 hours. And right, right, right. this book, there are several moments when it's like, at the end of the, like, like we jump forward in time. Like, they're there for a while. Yes. And like a week will go by or like several days will go by where they're just hanging out. And I'm like, that seems more realistic to me about how this yes. would unfold. You're not just like, clue, clue, another clue, another clue, bad guy appears, right. submarine, like. So That's th- a good point. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was like. Because Shadow Ranch, like, we kind of talked about that, like, Everything happens in the course of, like, a few days. Yeah. Including, like, a full-on, like, rodeo and hoedown. Uh, Indeed. So, like, I appreciate it. I was like, I actually feel like this book is slightly more realistic than the others, which I enjoyed. Um, Final comment on my thoughts and musings. Mm -hmm. 
the writing was a little different in this and that I felt like we were just getting a little more in Nancy's head, like a little more of her inner monologue. And I wrote down a sentence that I wanted to read you that I was like, this is kind of new. And I liked it. It was Nancy's heart was beating madly as she forced herself to remain outwardly calm. Ooh, I didn't pick up on that, but I will look for it now. I just really felt like, you know, we've been so external, like watching her like kind of sleuth around and it's felt a little Mm -hmm. bit robotic or impersonal. And in this book, I felt like I got a little closer to like what she was feeling in the moment and that she's- You're right. And I I mean, I did notice like, because we had kind of talked about, criticized this in the last book that they- they didn't focus nearly as much on their appearances this time, like at all. Totally. They didn't talk about what clothes they were wearing or their hair or anything else. So yep. yeah. Good point. Thank you. Well, strong observation. I have a few. So big topic number one for today. I would like to continue our, our thread of the lexicon of Nancy Drew because there were. Oh, for sure. There were some good ones in this one. Some doozies. And my, my mm-hmm. first one, this is a quick little sound bite. This is a Carson clip who is largely not present in this book, but he used a phrase that I have immediately decided to incorporate into my life when he's talking about jerks, basically. He's like, those mm-hmm. are some real tough customers. And I yeah. love it. I just, I love it. There's something so suave about that. Tough customers. Um, yeah, George used a phrase, which. Oh, I, I know exactly which one you're going to say, because I wrote it down, too. <laughs> I was like, what? She she's talking about there's a guy that they think might be one of the bad guys. And they're like, oh, he seems like really mm, he seems like one to watch. And George goes, that fellow's only a cornball. <laughs> yeah, only a cornball, which I have a feeling no, you know what? It wasn't George who said that. Who was it? It was, um, it was, so it was at the gas pumps and it, um, they're all flashing their money at the gas station attendant. And one of them, I think oh. we find out later, it's Maurice who says, like, you really shouldn't be doing that. You know, like, he could go, he could get, like, wise to us or whatever yes. if he sees all this money. And one, and one of them responds, he's only a cornball. Only a cornball, mm-hmm. which I have a feeling does have some sort of like derogatory, derogatory connotation for like a country person would be my guess. Um, Could be. Like, but basically corn, cornball, that's in the lexicon now. Um, yeah. He, kind of going back to like actual lexicon of Nancy Drew, um, a new phrase we learned, 30s-ism, I'm guessing, hurts rent-a-car <laughs> in this world. <laughs> They call them drive yourself agencies. Right? I drive, loved it. Drive I loved yourself. it. Like, we're not going to do it for you. Drive yourself. <laughs> well, exactly. Right? Like, because I guess the only other option was to, like, hire a car with a driver. Yeah. Yeah. So, loved it. Okay. Are you ready for my numero uno favorite from this episode? I, <laughs> you know I am. So, <laughs> it's so good. I actually, I'm going to preface this. Garrett and I have been talking about this lately. One of my favorite memes of all time is a meme that I think is making fun of, like, hipsters and or mansplainers. And it's someone saying, oh, I love punk music. And the other person says, oh, yeah, then name every band. And (laughs) I died laughing because this was that in real life in this book. So Nancy calls Chief McGinnis and she's like, hey, 
I'm out here. There's a weird cult called the Black Snake Cult. You got to look into this. And he is like, let me check my notes. And he's like, nope, never heard of them. And I just looked through my report on all cults. (laughs) Right. Yes, I wrote down, like, do you have to register a cult? (laughs) Like, is that... I guess if Chief McGinnis doesn't know about it, it must not exist. It doesn't because exist. It's not in the report on all cults. So, like, right. oh, I was. You're you're not an official cult unless you get the paperwork done. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Other otherwise, you're just a loose gathering. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. Other interesting verbiage. They call people shady a lot. Yes. Oh my gosh. I I actually read that sentence four times. Like, am I really seeing what I'm reading right now? Yeah. Like I thought that was a much more modern expression. But they use the word like that guy's shady. This seems shady. What a shady situation. Multiple yeah, times. Multiple times. Yeah. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Um and then the last one that I wanted to share. Oh, and we're going to talk more about this in real world River Heights. George being the worst to Bess. Ugh, she's the worst. But she says something to Bess about how she's currently reducing, which uh-huh. context clues lead me to believe that means she is dieting. Dieting, right? And that was just mm-hmm. such a horrible alternative <laughs> to like I'm trying to yeah. lose some weight, like reducing. Yeah. No, no, I hated it. It's it's not it's not great. One 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 that I found interesting, and and you may have heard this phrase before, was, um, Nancy thinks to herself as she's being, you know, she's tied at the wrist, she's being drug out of the cave by these criminals, and who steps into the mouth of the key, cave but Carl Junior. Carl's Junior. <laughs> Carl's Jr. And she thinks to herself, what would have brought him to the cave at the psychological moment? (laughs) And I was like, what a weird thing to think as you're being like kidnapped, essentially. Um, And I'd never heard that phrase psychological moment. Did you know what that meant? No. And I I reread that sentence a couple of times because it it, to me felt like a typo almost. I was like, did you mean to use some other word here? Does that, is That's that what I thought too. Yes. Yeah, so I thought the same thing. I was like, this was a weird typo, wrong edit moment, but let me Google it just in case. The psychological moment, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing and going to butcher this, but it's, it's essentially like a moment in a story or a moment when <laughs> you're at the, the height of anticipation. Get out of town. Yeah, so it's like the you know when when would be the, it's it's like the pinnacle you know everything is the worst it could possibly be and there's no rescue in sight and <gasps> there's Carl oh and it's the psychological moment so I'm like but but I feel like it's one of those things where you don't call it that like <laughs> it's, no you you know can you know Carolyn would be like typewriting away and going like. And then at the psychological moment, Carl appears, but you don't have your heroine think it, you know, because then it's just like, you know, Carolyn's clapping herself on the back going like, am I good or what? Like, I really built up that psychological moment so much so that Nancy is going to identify it. That's like if at the beginning of the book, as she's going to Redgate Farm, she's like, in this 
next six scenes of rising and falling action. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That is such a fun fact. Thank you for t- I had no I just thought it was a mistake. <laughs> I don't think it was. So can I say one last thing about sure. the lexicon of Nancy Drew? And I Karen, you're it's half your podcast. You can say as many <laughs> things as you want. Well I want you to know you have my commitment that I'm gonna stop belaboring this point. This is the last time I'm gonna say this because I'm I am the dead horse at this point. <laughs> I miss Helen so much. And I feel like no one has no one has busted a single funny that it at no. all has come close to Helen's level of wit. Like Helen not, not had even me close. rolling like constantly. And I'm just like, no one's funny now. And I miss her. I and know. I won't say it again. I'm sorry. I love no, Helen. And I just, you know, I will belabor that point with you because I, you know, I don't think I was as emotionally attached to Helen as you were, but I enjoyed Helen. And I just feel like she's just been dispensed with. She's been dismissed entirely. Yeah, she's just disappeared off the face of the planet. And I'm like, we at least need, you know, a bookend on Helen. So I'm hoping the. So in Carolyn's defense, we have been on vacation the last two books. So That's maybe fair. when we get back to River Heights, we'll like get, you know, a save the date or something. I would love to even just bump into her at a tennis lesson. I just yeah. want to know she's okay. You know, these can all be things that I fix in my re-edits. God bless. Please do mm-hmm. it. Yeah, you know, as soon as we get that contract, Simon, Simon and Schuster I'm <laughs> on it. But just waiting on paperwork on their end at this point. So, <laughs> Okay, so now we move on to classic mystery elements yes i my yes. favorite part of this podcast is when you walk me through classic mystery elements i'm so excited every time and i'm not exaggerating Aww, i'm so that's so sweet it's true i'm so happy every time you talk about real world river heights <laughs> partially because you can't say it and i find that adorable but partially because mostly because you've got a really good handle on anyway we'll get to that but yes <laughs> We each have our, you know, our bailiwick. Our, our, our fortes. <laughs> obviously, maybe obviously. I like to think obviously. Like, m- my big amazing part in this book, mystery-wise, is the coded message. Yes. Who doesn't love a coded message? A monster, that's who. Correct. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure why she couldn't get that ho- the whole message down. Like, that would have have to have been the shortest interview in all the land to not have been able to copy two lines and numbers, but whatever. Yep. Um, yep. So, it's actually two codes in one, because there's the, like, I, I know there's a name for it. I didn't look it up, but um, I know there's a name for, like, when a a number in a code correlates to a letter of the alphabet. Um, so, it's oh, one of yes. those. And it's not, it's not just like, uh, it's not that easy. You know, there's like, uh, she figures out that A, B, C, D are one, two, three, four, and then the numbers reverse and go eight, seven, six, five for the next yes. four letters. And then they, so, okay, cool. And then there's the second code with the, the like marks above Flourishes. and below. Yes. So that's a whole nother thing. And I felt like that was maybe a bit of a stretch. I she was like, would not yeah. have figured that out. <laughs> no, I mean, like there was a a hash mark underneath one of the one of the numbers, which correlated to the letter M, and she was like, "That must be for Maurice Hale." And I'm like, "Okay," or Madonna, or <laughs> McDonald's, 
McDonald's. I mean, like, exactly. We meet at midnight at McDonald's. <laughs> oh, Kelly. I know. Epi- I just figured it out. Epiphany. Mm-hmm. The do snake. You, do you want me to say it or do you want you to say it? We, we, do we just realize it at the same time? <laughs> I think we did. Yeah. Why, about snake. why the snake bit George. Yes. Although, still, I have... I, but yes, it's why. Go ahead. So, we... Oh, man. I love this... <laughs> When the snake bites George, Nancy sees it slithering away, and she has a moment of clarity, and she's like, oh, dude, that slithering snake just reminded me there's a tilde over one of the the code things. I bet it stands for a snake. <laughs> so, I bet it stands for a black snake cult. So George gets bitten sheerly for Nancy to crack the code, which... Sacrifice, yeah, like George deserved to be sacrificed for that. Wow, we know now. Wow. Okay. Still, one could think that maybe she would figure that out without actually having to get bitten by a snake. Like she could have just glimpsed one or seen. She could have just been like, "Oh, that looks like a snake." Could have imagined one. (laughs) Yes, you know, in my implicit snake knowledge, I know that they slither like a S shape. Yeah, I can. Whatever. I wasn't unhappy that George got bitten by a snake, but that was some synchronicity and epiphany there, Karen. That was awesome. That mm-hmm. was... <laughs> Let me also just mention, when we kind of talked about this, but like, in the in the plot, you mentioned this, but like, this is like an unbreakable code, according to the Secret Service, but right? government, like, the, yes. Right. That This group has been using this code for years and nobody's been able to crack it. But, like, Nancy figured it out in, like, an afternoon with the help of a commercially available code-breaking book. Yes. I mean... Yes. I'm like, if really, if that's the case, like, why is she not being recruited by the CIA right now? 100%. Like... I'm like, Jennifer Garner wasn't doing this stuff. And we know what happened to her. Such a good point, and just this is this is the second time she's been lauded by the United yes. States government, and the first time she received an award. So like she's on their radar, and I'm like, pay her money. She's doing right. your entire job for you. Um, yes, I mean the chief literally at one point says to her, "We need another clue from you," and she goes, "Okay, let me go reinvestigate some more." And I'm like, seriously, you need to be itemizing your hours and your expenses. Like yes. You know, send the money, send the cost of that material you bought for your cult garb straight over to the River Heights Police Department. 100%. Like, she should be on the payroll, <sighs> getting health benefits. She is doing the job of several police officers and apparently Secret Service agents. So I Thank comple- you. completely agreed. Also, and again, I didn't do a ton of research on this, so things may have changed since 1931, but at least as of today, the FBI does the investigating on counterfeit. Okay. I was super confused. I was like, why is the Secret Service Why did they leave the president? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, I don't think this is where you're actually supposed to be, sirs. Like, that deeply confused me. (laughs) Like, and I know the Secret Service does more than, like, act, you know, work work to protect the president. I know that. But, so I was like, okay, well, maybe that's one of the things they do in their you know, city jurisdictions. But no, it's the FBI, which definitely made more sense to me. But maybe that was different in 31. I thought it was strange. We'll never know. <clears throat> we'll never know. Okay, moving on. Um, We use this, like, mysterious 
another code, but like a physical code of the perfume. So for some reason, not sure why, maybe we'll have a simultaneous epiphany again as I verbally process this, but like this, the whole Nancy's whole mystery little sniffer gets peaked when (laughs) this woman won't sell best this perfume. Yes. And then it gets whatever. So Long story short, they end up figuring out that this per- this specific scent of perfume, Blue Jade, which I also looked up Blue Jade because I'm like, I think that is contradictory. Isn't Jade oh, green? Yeah, Jade's green. Good call. I didn't but, even but, think about that. But there is there is a Blue Jade. Okay. Like, that is a real thing. I was like, whatever. Um, but, but, like, apparently all the women in the Hale Syndicate wear this perfume so that People know that they're, like, exactly what happened to Nancy on the train. Somebody can go, like, they smell this perfume and go, you must be one of us. So what are the guys, but, like, what about the dudes? Are they wearing, like, Axe body spray? Like, how are we identifying the bros? (laughs) Thank you. I'm like, do we not need to identify the dudes? Correct. Yeah. Doesn't add It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but okay, fine. It's a catalyst to get started on this mystery, I guess. So Yeah, I got no um, epiphanies on that one. We also had a password at the cave. We did. It was Kamar. Mm-hmm. It was, yes. And somebody just said it really loud so Nancy could hear it. Like, <laughs> there's, man, y'all are making it really easy to infiltrate this, like, super secret ring, but whatever. Um, we've got a secret hideout. Love a we, secret you know, hideout. Same. We've got secret headquarters that move around all over the place from one shady location to another. Love it. Obviously, the cult is a cover for the crime syndicate. Um, we've got a cut phone line. We've yes. got a forged note. Yes. Um, we've got Nancy in her disguise and she's going undercover. So, like, I think the only time we've seen her kind of, like, quote unquote, go undercover was when she dressed up like the ghost. Well, she also, you brought up a sting operation when she pretends to be, she fakes an identity as an actress. In oh, that's right. The submarine book, which is, I just think of it as Lilac the submar- Inn. Lilac Inn. Mm-hmm. She pretends to be an actress and like fakes a name and a personality. So like she is kind of, right. kind of like getting into this master of disguise thing, but yeah, you are is. correct in that this is now the second time she has built a wardrobe. <laughs> she has built a wardrobe. She's drug all of her friends down with her. Yep. And as we've already fully danger. discussed now, there's no escape plan. Not at all. And I give her credit. She's like, she's got a great entry plan. You know, she's she's done her work. But I I was like, okay, so my last one. Okay. She has learned the power of a natural um, alert system, a.k.a. Bess, go out in that field and make a bird noise. <laughs> When you see the cult dance, Caw-caw. and I'll come right out. <laughs> <laughs> Which is clearly learned from Shorty. From right? the Shadow Ranch, yes. That from was Shorty. Yes. That yes. was Shorty's gift, okay? Shorty was now put on this earth to be a bank robber and a kidnapper and a ghost horser. He was put on earth to be an impressionist and, you know... He taught he gave, Nancy bird taught summoning. Nancy the best part of himself. <laughs> you are mm-hmm. so astute that, yes. Mm-hmm. I 
the only ha, the only thing that would have been better if it had been a coyote noise, which I still I'm like, what is it? Is a coyote like a like a wolfy like? I don't know. That I think it's an like owl. a an owl like at the moon with a cookie long crisp kind of ex- precisely. Is the cookie crisp guy a coyote? No, isn't it a vampire? <laughs> no, that's Count Chocula. Oh. <laughs> I don't think there are any coyotes that are brand ambassadors, Karen. But you, I'm going to Google it later and we will follow <laughs> up on this. What is the the cookie crisp guy? Is he a wolf? Is he a coyote? Someone is he is let he a uh, I think he, I feel like he is supernatural though. No, he's not. He's dressed as a cop as well if I remember correctly. Oh, he's a dog then. Oh no, I'm thinking Paw Patrol. <laughs> Why are you watching Paw Patrol? I'm not. I'm just, I know it exists. I can I, picture the little, like, puppy in its, like, little police hat. I have so many questions, but <laughs> they are not related to Nancy Drew, so I shall table them for now. <laughs> yes, leave those for Christmas when we need to ruin something. Perfect. I will be ready. So that that concludes my updates on Nancy's sleuthing adventures. That was a pleasure, as always. My Thank face you, hurts Karen. from smiling. Um <laughs> let's move on to my my Ooh. what did you call it my bailiwick my Your bailiwick i this karen i feel like we have so much to talk about here today i'm gonna say it slowly because i can't say it real world river heights <laughs> so okay least important point i just want to call out the fact that we do mention the date in this book it is now july but it is only july and we are on major mystery numero six that nancy has addressed and solved and we know that she has just gotten out of high school which i'm assuming happened in late may so six mysteries two of which have involved like the upper echelons of the government yes and like multiple like in two months so yeah like that's not to be scoffed at no i mean (laughs) she is like i'm just like what was happening but when she was in high school? I mean, were criminals just running amok in it, River Heights? It was basically Gotham City before. Like, <laughs> it it was, sounds like they it. were in, must have been in bad shape. <laughs> and now the Batman has come, and they're like, "Rut row." Yeah, indeed, the Joker is mm-hmm. fleeing with dollar bills, counterfeit dollar bills flying out of his pockets, etc. Um, here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. Were, were you surprised in this book that like we have now developed like quite you kind of alluded to this we've developed quite a relationship with chief mcginnis mm-hmm. yes like nancy yes, and him are like like remember on myspace how you had your top 10 friends like she and <laughs> chief mcginnis mm-hmm. are in each other's top 10 he's like speed dialing her he's like hey nance what's mm-hmm. up i'm having trouble over here you got a clue for me like they're like they're Seriously, buds now she- she talked to him more than she talked to her father in this book. Yes, which was uh, surprise. I'm like, oh, he's back. And I'm like, like, is Chief McGinnis like maybe like in his late 20s and he just like had a couple of really good arrests early in his career and he rose up the ranks really fast. And, you know, it's maybe like it's 1931. It wouldn't be super inappropriate for Nancy to marry somebody 10 years older than her. And maybe they're just like really into each other. Or is he like 55 years old? Like I think he is probably married with three grown kids. And he just is like, yeah, let let Nancy keep going. I mean, she's knocking him out of the park. I like I want to believe in my heart that he has become like a fatherly figure to her and a trusted ally. But part of me because I'm a woman in today's world, is like, this 
lackluster bro is like i think it's more he's like trying to hitch his apple wagon to her star and is like i'm gonna ride her coattails straight to the top like i don't know what's after chief like senior chief chief president officer ceo of the i don't know where he goes from here but i think he's like oh this is gonna work out real commissioner commissioner he's trying to be commissioner gordon next and then he can just put his nancy signal up into the air a hundred percent so i don't love that yeah mm, and she's a smart cookie as dave called her in the last episode so like i don't think she's gonna like fall for his malarkey but at the same time i'm like you should do a little of your own work, Chief McGinnis. But. That would be good. But I will say this on the like, if we're going to look at this, like with a little bit of rose colored glasses and a little bit of optimism, I like that when she calls him, he responds. He does not blow her off because she's a teenage girl. He doesn't pretend like she's an idiot. He doesn't tell her to leave him alone. He like, he helps her. He takes her seriously. And I do like that. I do too. But she... She's earned that, to be fair. She has. I mean, has she, though? I mean, she's she's like six in, and they have had to save her six times now. That's true. And she's cost them several boats. So, <laughs> so Karen, so many boats. I have two additional topics I would like to discuss in real world River Heights. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, let's talk about my favorite, the boyfriend bracket. Mm-hmm. So in this book, we meet the next dude in the chain the chain of pretty irrelevant side characters that are involved but mm-hmm. so carl junior not to be confused with carl's junior carl carl junior abbott is a secret service Car- agent Car- carl abbott junior is how that name would be just oh. to be clear thank you thank you <laughs> you are you are 100 percent correct uh carl's abbott junior <laughs> <laughs> where where will we put the apostrophe? So he is like, he kind of comes out of nowhere, but they're like, he's hella cute. Um, his dad is staying at Redgate Farm. He drops his dad off and they're like, okay, hi and bye. Carl departs. But turns out he pops back up again in the, what did you call it? The psychological moment. Yes, in the and psychological moment. He actually is part of the daring escape and destruction of the hail syndicate because he mm-hmm. is. no. He's not. He's he what? Huh? Go ahead. No. What did I do? Is isn't he there? He's, he is, but he's not Secret Service. Oh, I. Oh my. I was so wrong. He. I thought he was in the Secret Service. No. <gasps> he. He has like. He. He got his spidey senses up, and so he called. I think he called somebody and was like, can you send some people out here? Because I think these girls are in trouble. And they were like, no, but there's some secrets. He he like was able to rally some secret service men to come help him. Interesting. I was so wrong. I thought that he was. Okay. So this changes actually everything I was going to say. I don't think so. Unless I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's not secret service. Okay. So. We still have John McBride, army sergeant, master of espionage, mm-hmm. sniffing out missile thieves as yep. he- Carrier he, of Helen. Carrier of Helen. Like baby, or no, of, yeah, Helen. Of right? Helen, Was yeah. Was it Helen? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Baby angel, John McBride is still at mm-hmm. the top of the boyfriend bracket. And I, though Carl was only 
briefly involved. I truly thought he was in the Secret Service. And so I was like, maybe he's friends with John McBride. Like, maybe there's a thing here. And I, I had a brief moment where I was like, could he be the contender that takes down John McBride? No. Given this new information, he is not, and John McBride prevails. Do you agree? Completely. Okay. Yeah. No, Car- Carl Jr., he he was barely a blip on the radar for me. Like, it was a good thing he was around because he did kind of, like, save the day at the end. But, eh, you know, he liked Nancy, but she was com- – he she found him completely irrelevant. As, totally. as opposed to, as you pointed out, she blushed about John McBride. She she did. She mm-hmm. did. Yeah, so right. John remains at the top of the – he remains in the lead. Oh, John. He just keeps uh, knocking them down. This is like last <laughs> this is like last chance kitchen over here, you know. <laughs> um, all right. And then final final thoughts on real world River Heights. Can we discuss George and Bess? I don't want to. Well, we're gonna and so upsetting. I know that you have strong feelings about this. Um really my main point here, I have lots of things that I could say. I will say them all. I don't understand why George and Bess are friends because me neither. George is horrible to Bess constantly. Yeah. yeah, she's not a nice person. She is constantly denigrating Bess's appearance. She mm-hmm. denigrates her intellect. Mm-hmm. She makes her out to be just like a flighty flirt. Mm-hmm. And just and con- she's and she's not. She's not. She's ugh. so like George it's just like a Bess, mean... Let's be honest. Bess is the only smart one of the three of them. She's like, I'm not sure I want to go sneak into that cave with a bunch of cult members. Are we okay. sure this is a good idea? We will die in here. Mm-hmm. Bess also rightfully in the last one was like, hello, friends. Should we really gallop these horses across a flooding river? We could die. Like, I, I don't Did know. Did you not hear them when they said, don't take this road horse into that river? Like, and that's what we're doing. Okay, we're going to do that. Wow. All right. Well, so I just, oh, man, George has not won many points with me. No, I think, I think George is like falling into that category for me of, it's, it's not bullying. I mean, I guess it is kind of bullying, but it's like, it's thinking you're being funny and you're being mean. A hundred percent agreed. And I, I feel like we've overcorrected for her character. I, I feel like the author was trying, they're trying so hard to create her with this like masculine energy and they keep uh-huh. calling her a tomboy and they keep talking about her short, dark hair because, you know, all women with short, dark hair are tomboys, etc. But like, you don't have to be mean to be a tomboy. Right. Like, it's- Well, and like the, the difference is, is staggering between george and helen where like helen is sarcastic but funny george is sarcastic and mean and it's not funny and so i'm like i i mean i i'm like oh well this makes sense that they're cousins because this is the only reason they'd be friends is because their parents for like they've been around each other their whole lives the one thing that that i will say that is interesting Mm -hmm. about george and bess's relationship there is a dichotomy there that is similar to us, and you want me to tell you why? <laughs> yes, please. George is, like, very excited about going into this cave and, like, 
the potential of a cult. And she verbatim says, oh, I love spooky things. And Bess is like, I do not. And I was like, oh, that's me and Kelly. (laughs) Yes. Bess is like, I am not into that at all. Like, George actually changes other plans to go to Red Cape Farm because she's like, well, I bet something spooky and mysterious will happen with Nancy. So I'm going to do that instead. Yeah. And uh, And I'd be like, best of luck. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be like, I will go if you promise me there will be nothing spooky or mysterious that happens. Yes. Like, if you can guarantee me there is not a single ghost on the premises, I'm (laughs) super happy to accompany you. Otherwise, I will correspond with you when you return. (laughs) One of my favorite George moments in this book was, I don't remember when it happened, but Bess was like freaking out about something, rightfully so, and said, said like, I'm going to faint. And George says, girls don't faint these days. Oh, my God. And I, I was like, well, that's kind of funny. But also, Joanne literally fainted like three chapters before. Yeah, so Joanne I can like, assure you they do. They <laughs> They do. And okay, so should we talk about Joanne briefly before we sure. move on to Nancy? So Joanne follows a, a strong lineage in these books of mm. the damsel in distress line. Mm-hmm. That oh, Nancy yeah. is like, here is a girl who's like around my age. I'm sorry, a woman who is around my age. And she has fallen on hard times. And I don't like this. I fear mm-hmm. for her safety. I am mm-hmm. going to step in and help her. Like, we've had Laura Pendleton. We've had, yes. I mean, on the very end of the youth extreme, we've had Baby Judy from book one. Baby Judy. Well, and Helen in book two, because it, it was her aunts. Yeah, and Emily, who is an orphan whose yeah. diamonds are stolen. Like, Nancy loves to save a gal, and I yes. like that about her. She's like, my friend is in distress. Well, not even her friend. They become her yeah, friend instantly. these random strangers. Yes. She's like, welcome to the family. I will assist you. Um, I, like all of the other previous orphans, though, do you also assume that Joanne will be lost in the sands of time? And th- I feel like these characters don't come oh, back. I, don't, I mean, if, if they brought Joanne book in 15, like, back in 15 books, I would have no idea who she was, because she's completely... She's just another reason to have a mystery. You know if, what I mean? If we have any like talented artist friends, I would fully buy from you and put on my wall a beautiful poster that is each orphan that Nancy yes. saves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, real world River Heights. In short, best friends with Chief McGinnis. Carl Jr. cannot hold a candle to John McBride. Bess is the worst and... Not Bess, George. Oh, I'm sorry. George is the literal worst. Mm -hmm. And we need an orphans poster. We do need an orphans poster. An orphans of Nancy Drew poster. Yep. Yeah, I would would take one of those too. So Um, so to conclude, we're at our penultimate, nope, our ultimate. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just saying (laughs) words now. Who is Nancy in this book? Who is she? Um... Nancy is, in this book more than we've ever seen her, a rule breaker. Yes. You know, she's she has always kind of made her own rules, gone where she's not supposed to go, things like that. But in this book, she is expressly told over and over and over again not to go near that cult camp. Yes. And, like... Mrs. Bird tells her not to go. Mr. Abbott and Mrs. Salisbury Steak tell her not to go. Um, and then the the woman with the ankle. Mrs. Well, Hale. 
thank you. I was like, I guess all women probably have ankles, but the, the, with the twisted ankle tells her like, definitely don't go there. You'll be in danger. And like every time she hears that, she just like doubles down on how quick she can get out there. So yeah, yeah. there's yeah. a quote that I wrote down. She said, now that they're forbidding me to go near the camp, I can't resist finding out what's happening there. She's like, she actually said that. Yeah, that is a direct quote. And this is what I'm talking about. Like, we're in her head more. She like says that to herself. Yeah. She's like, well, if you're going to tell me I can't, now I gotta. So now I gotta. Yeah. I just gotta find a crafty way to sneak in. Literally a crafty Literally. way. <laughs> Where's my glue stick? <laughs> needle, needle and thread it up. Um, she is so. Again, like in uh, I'm serious, Karen, we need to draft up Nancy Drew's resume. So we can add to that resume now, snakebite expert. Yep, yep. Um, this was, like, if I thought the actual moment of the snake biting George was not bad enough, then we got to have the full, like, EMS response. <laughs> And that was worse. And, and Nancy's just like as cool as a friggin' cucumber. You know, I'm like, you are living clearly in a suburb slash city where I would imagine that you don't have a ton of snake bites occurring on a routine basis. Maybe this is something you learned in like Girl Scouts or, you know, in some kind of, you know, Moon Lake training situation. But how many people do you know that are like, Okay, you got bit by a little snake. Maybe it's a copperhead. Let's just put a couple tourniquets on her leg, and then I'm going to jab you in the snake bite with this knife, and, you know, we'll just bleed out the venom. And then you'll probably be okay. You're right. And, I mean, maybe it's from the skin diving, like some sea snakes. She's seen this before. She was... I feel like the skin diving certification is probably the most training she's ever had in any one topic that we know about. So maybe there was like a no a snake segment no. for that certification. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I feel like land snakes are worse than water snakes. I don't know that you are qualified to speak on that because are, like are you actively covered in goosebumps and afraid right now? Yes, I I actually am sitting on my feet because I'm concerned about <laughs> protect your protect your exposed protect bits. your pieces, <laughs> which is also what I did every time I went to see an Indiana Jones movie in the movie theater. Very fair. Like I would wind up with all of my my bits and baubles like off of the floor because that's, that's that where is, the snakes are. As a person who is not deathly afraid of snakes, I can completely agree that is horrifying. So you're not alone there. Hmm. Well. You know, I again, I'm like, I don't need to be a snake bite expert. Like, death would come long before we would know if that snake bite was an actual problem. <laughs> yeah, long before. Not that's not the issue. No, no. It's like Nancy. Do you have defib paddles in your backpack? Well, <laughs> George is a goner then. Okay. Also, also, how did this doctor come out and just go like, "You're fine. You'll be fine." Because Kelly. Another glass ceiling moment here. Like Chief McGinnis, the doctor's like, oh, Nancy Drew took care of it? Must be fine. Like, <laughs> I think these guys are just riding on her coattails and, uh, like, but I But Karen, can't. like, if a copperhead had really bit George on the ankle, I'm fairly confident that, like, the perfume douse knife would not have done the trick. Maybe she would have been dead already. That's entirely possible. Yeah. Okay, like, we should- <laughs> 
Okay, I'm, we'll move I'm, on. I'm worried about you, so we should talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I call you at two o'clock in the morning, because I'm having snake nightmares, you'll still be up, so it'll be fun. Perfect. <laughs> uh, Nancy is also a code breaker in this book. She so she, is. Yeah, and this is self-taught. You know, she gets herself a book. She This is learning out of necessity. You mentioned she gains government accolades again, although- again. Unless I'm mistaken, there is no token of gratitude in this book. No, she does not get any sort of she doesn't get a medal from the government this time and Mm-mm. she nobody flips her anything. No. For the job well done. And finally, we find out that she is a marketing genius slash promoter. <laughs> okay. Okay. Was this not the best thing you've ever read? The best part of this book <laughs> of the Nancy Drew series so far. Nancy Drew, <laughs> marketing whiz kid. Yes. And she, Kelly, she makes the first <laughs> true crime live tour. She does. She does. You should ex- you should explain in case the readers have missed this book, <laughs> didn't finish the book. <laughs> so so she she sets up like basically uh like um you know like when you're going through Pirates of the Caribbean in Disney World. <laughs> I do. And yeah, like, it's basically that, only probably with no motion. But, you know, she she puts, like, she sets up, like, a little, like, living diorama thing in the back of this cave that looks like the, you know, the, the counterfeit operation. Here's and where then, it all And happened. then she, yeah, and then she changes over. I don't remember the guy's name, but they had, like, a farmhand who was kind Ruben. of, like. Reuben, who was kind of, like, maybe aging out of it a little bit. Um, and... She was like, "We're gonna turn you into the tour guide," and so yeah, it was like and he, he was loves like it. the the Red Farm Red Gate Farm version of the Jack the Ripper tour. Yeah, and she like puts billboards up that yeah. are like leading up to Red Gate Farm. Like I just was yeah. picturing driving through like the deep Midwest, and it's like world's biggest yeah. ball of wax over here. Precisely, and it's, like, precisely. Nancy Drew's haunted counterfeit cave mm-hmm. tour, and I'm like, and I'd be like, throw out the anchor, take a hard right. We're going. We are going. Yes. twice. Like, yes. I know it's the Great Depression, and fifty cents would feed us for three days, but we are going to go see that counterfeit cave. Yes, one hundred percent. Loved that conclusion. She was like, just mm-hmm. make it a make it a tour, and it works. And it works. It totally works. It's like popping off. Like Carson drives by and sees the billboards and he's like, there's hella traffic going to this place. There's like Mm -hmm. tons of people staying there and lounging on the lawns and basking at Redgate Farm. Like Nancy, chief marketing officer. Yeah. On the resume. I, I like, of course, we all know that there will be a resolution that allows them to save the farm. Right. Of course. Like there has to be. That's- I assumed that they would find gold in them their hills, you know? Like there was gonna be like an oil spring in the back of that cave or something, right? <laughs> but never in my wildest fantasies did I envision Nancy Drew setting up a Disney World esque type true crime walkthrough tour of that cave. And I love every minute of it. Kelly, is this the perfect time to use our favorite dad quote? Go for it. I don't know what this is, but I'm sure I'll recognize it once you start. Oh, you will. I would say that Nancy Drew successfully snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. (laughs) (laughs) I think she did. That was perfectly placed. That was perfectly placed. Well done. Well, with all of this being said, shall we conclude with our 
remaining open questions that we just yeah what may have what, to what do you got we may have to take these to our grave but here's Ru- my rum- ruminate on for the next week or forever i have two for you this week okay one is about law enforcement and one is about our relationship are you ready <laughs> oh god yes start with law enforcement <laughs> time to emotionally prepare so is pretending to be a cult a, a smart or viable way for criminals to get law enforcement off their back because like basically the hail syndicate is like we're doing a bunch of really shady stuff if we just pretend to be a cult everyone will leave us alone and i'm like i'm pretty sure that people would also not like that you're a creepy cult well okay i may have an answer for this awesome this could be a closed question. Oh my god, I'm I'm so happy. <laughs> so I think I think there is a yes and a no. So okay. I think in one world, yes, it is because I think a cult kind of technically falls under like religious protection. Oh. So it might give them a little bit of a privacy screen. Yeah. For, you know, like the IRS isn't going to be knocking on your door like why aren't you paying tax? Yeah, I I can see that. Potentially. On the other hand, I would think that if you had a cult that was driving the neighbors crazy and doing odd and suspicious things, that that might increase awareness of your activities. That was that was really where I was going. I'm like, yeah. you could have just been hiding in the cave, but instead you're drawing more attention to yourself by wearing these costumes and dancing in the moonlight. And Thank you. Well... Are you ready for the No, the but ultimate? yes, whip it on me. I'm nervous. So the the crew is trapped in the cave with this cult. Nancy, mm-hmm. George, and Bess. And all three of them get grabbed, basically. Nancy slithers out of her captor's hands. Can we but not George and- slithers? <laughs> Nancy, I was, I'm like, what else? I was going to say worms, and I'm like, that's still in the same family. Worms is okay. Let's go okay. with worms. She wriggles. She, she wriggles away. And George and Bess, who are firmly captured, are like, run, Nancy. And I, I understand. Like, somebody had to go get help. Mm-hmm. But I was, like, at this point, we're like, whatever with George. But I'm like, don't leave Bess. Like, what could happen? And I want to know, Kelly, in this scenario, would you have, like, a zombie situation? Are you going to trip me and run? Or are you going to fight my captors to the death? That's two different scenarios. <laughs> Are you going to fight? Would I sacrifice you? I would not sacrifice you. But if but would I would I fight a horde of zombies when you had already been bitten? You were a goner. Oh, I didn't. I didn't. I haven't been bitten yet. But if you run away, I may get bitten. My question to you is: Where do I do most good? Getting help or fighting? Karen, you've met me. Do I do I strike you as someone who could fight off a horde of zombies? <laughs> You're very clever. But Karen, we we wouldn't I wouldn't be running in the first place. <laughs> I think I, I here I I would have a hard time leaving you. This was actually like a trick question though, too, because I would like to be realistic in that. I don't know that you and I would have gone in the cave in the first place so we, there's no way we would have gone in the cave karen no. listen i wouldn't have gone to the farm in the first place 
I would have identified that as a snake zone from a thousand miles away. You, yes, you would have kept your distance and. And even so, let's say that I go to the farm and then one of my friends gets bitten by a snake. Do you think I'm going to roam around hiding behind rocks and in shrubs in the dark? Very good point. Very good point. But let's even say that there are no snakes in America, just like mice. (laughs) And that's not a concern. Would I have gone into I, neither? Neither of us. No, would have gone I into absolutely cave. would not have gone into that cave. No. no. So moot moot point. I love you. I'm sorry I've put you in this catch twenty two. But in in a zombie situation, I would I would I don't think I could leave you. No. Thank you, Kelly. That's so sweet. You're welcome. We'll both just die together. We'll go down together. Mm-hmm. Well, Kelly, it is time. Dun da da dun da da. We're gonna rate. This book. Okay. Nancy Drew and the Secret of Redgate Farm. I now find this to be a fun game to pick the hardest metric possible for you to make in an Instagram post. So (laughs) we are going to rate this out of a possible 12 (laughs) cult masks. Great. (laughs) Best of luck to you with the design challenge. (laughs) Challenge accepted. Do I get to go first? You do. Okay. I am going to rate this 8 out of 12 cult masks. Oh. I love the danger. I love the codes. I love the swimming hole. However, this book lost 11 cult masks for an unnecessary snake bite. Knew it. It it won most of them back with the undercover operation, and then it lost four again for no exit plan. Very so, rational, straightforward explanation. Thank you. We've wound up at 8 out of 12. How? What? What do you give it? I'm going to give it a 9 out of 12 cult masks. Yes. Okay. Um, I gave it a lot of cult masks because I felt like the plot and the timing were sensical <laughs> for yes, maybe the okay. first time ever, which was a huge improvement. Um, I added so many cult masks for the ending, which we discussed, where Nancy creates a true crime tour to save the yes, farm. That, that was, was so good. Hilarious and amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I removed – okay, so I, I, I'm missing three cult masks. I removed two. Because mm-hmm. I was selfishly bummed that it wasn't an actual cult. I was too. Yeah. I, I wanted a real cult. And I also removed one cult mask because, as we discussed, I felt disoriented that there were no twins in this book. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. A perfect book is going to have twins in at least one boating incident. Indeed. Indeed. We know mm-hmm. that to be true now. So, mm-hmm. um, all right. Well, that concludes Redgate Farm. What are we reading next week? Huzzah. Okay. So, Next week is a very special week, from what I understand. Um, yes. It is another Super Sleuth special episode, which yes, if you is. haven't like listened to kind of the last few episodes, um, our fourth episode every month is a non-Nancy Drew book. And you picked this one this time. It's one I've never read, but I believe it's a favorite of yours. From the Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frank Weiler. I am so excited. I, I am too. Wait. I'm going to start it tonight. I know we have a mm. week, but I'm starting tonight. I've been waiting to savor it, and I cannot <laughs> wait a moment longer. I'm I'm going to start it pretty much tonight or tomorrow too. I'm I'm super excited for it. I'm, like I know nothing about the book. All I know is like the sleepover in the what did we decide it was an aquarium, a museum? Nope, a still not hatch. Still not an aquarium. <laughs> It's you not an aquarium. I thought it was an aquarium. No, it's a museum. <laughs> it's a museum. It is a museum. Okay. All right. Cool, 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 cool. Cool, 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 cool. You're in I'm for psyched. 
a real treat. And I um, I mentioned on Independent Bookstore Day, I got a new copy and I had completely forgotten like one of the best facets of this type of book ever. There are actual like museum maps in the book for to, like help you track where they're like sleuthing around. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm even more excited. So yeah, see, that's exactly what I like in a book when you, like when you think you can figure it out because yep. you have the information. Yep. Yes. Oh, you are going to be so happy. I cannot. Love it. Cannot wait. Um, well, we can't wait to share that with you next time. If you have time, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We really appreciate all of the help you yes. have given us with spreading the word and your support and your love. Thank you. And remember what we learned today at Redgate Farm. I can't wait. And I, I think this was a Nancy direct quote. You can't live on blue sky and inspiration alone. <laughs> no, no, you cannot. You can't. Going to need an open face sandwich every now and again. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, happy sleuthing! It's a Clue is hosted by Kelly Biscopink and Karen Farmer. Our logo is designed by Courtney Kyle. You can find her on social media at I am Courtney Kyle. The It's a Clue theme song was written and recorded by Danny W. You can find her on Facebook at Danny W. Music. Audio engineering is graciously done by our friend, Mark Goodlow.